We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we work and live, the Awabakal and Waramai people, and pay our respects to Elders past and present. We celebrate the stories, culture and traditions of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Elders of all communities who also work and live on this land. You're listening to Boob to Food, the podcast with Luca McCabe and Kate Holm. There is so much noise in the parenting space. And we don't mean the tantruming toddler. We understand it can feel confusing, conflicting and overwhelming. That's why we are bringing our years of experience as a midwife, nutritionist and naturopath. And of course, mums. So that you can confidently navigate the roller coaster of motherhood from boob to food and beyond. Each week you'll hear practical wisdom, expert advice and inspirational stories of other mums in the depths of this parenting journey. Let's, Let's dive, dive in. in. Today's episode is brought to you by BioFirst. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Boop to Food, the podcast. I have my co-host back again today in the hot seat <laughs> with a little fresh baby on her chest. Hello, Kate. Welcome back to the podcast. <laughs> How are you going? Yeah. You I have some news to share this week. <laughs> yes, I have news to share. I'm not just, well, actually, no, I have just been staying at home, but it's for an exciting reason. Oh, yes. Oh, you might be able to hear my exciting reason. She's bundled up on my chest um yes I have my like how old would she be 10 day old little baby girl Amazing. is here finally <laughs> she is here she's so so cute yeah she's the best it's been so amazing like honestly just such a dream I've been really making the effort which sounds weird to make the effort to slow down but really just soaking up this time and yeah, I've hardly left the house. We've had people come to see us and we've been just so like showered with love and meals. And I had your cleaner today, which was incredible. <laughs> Thank no you. Better gift. That's okay. No better gift than a clean house is there oh when you're gosh. a mum of it's three now. A mum of three. I know. I can't believe it. I have two daughters and three kids. Um, but yeah, it's just been such a nice time and really really slow and she's really content and just mm. so sweet. So yeah. I'm I'm happy to be back on the podcast, but it was really nice to have a little bit of a rest there as <laughs> a well. A whole 10 days off, go you. <laughs> yeah. Not that you even had yeah. time off. You're sort still of. on your phone the whole time <laughs> messaging me about work stuff. Uh, I can't help myself, but no, I have really, I, I have pulled it back a lot. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's been nice. Lots of sleeping, lots of yummy food, lots of baby cuddles. How it's, are Jude and Bowie going right. with her? They're going really well. I was worried. Um, I won't say too much, but um, the, like when she was born, Bowie in particular didn't want to come anywhere near me, didn't want to see her. So I was like, oh no, is this going to be mm. like how the dynamic is? But the next day she was like very keen to give her a cuddle and they've both been amazing. I think, you know, it's coming out in ways with them and they probably have a bit of cabin fever because mm. <laughs> we've been at home a lot, but they've just been so incredible with her. Like I think for Jude as well, because he's that little bit older. I mean, he turned five um, last week. He, I think he understands. Like when Bowie was yeah. born, he was too little. So it was just, you know, business as usual for him, but everything was different. But now he gets it. So he's really helpful and he's so nurturing. And yeah, it's it's really beautiful to watch. Yeah, so nice. Yes, it's so and I nice. guess we should reiterate the reason you don't want to share too much is that we're actually yes. going to talk and do a whole episode on your birth and the transition to having three kids. So you will yes. share. <laughs> just I will definitely today. share. <laughs> I just don't want to give away too much right now. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So I can't yeah. wait to hear about it as well. I've had one little cuddle and she's so cute. I'm oh, looking forward so to cute. coming back. <laughs> she's so beautiful. <laughs> How are you going? You've had a day. Oh, I have. I'm actually glad I had a day when I look at a newborn like that because I, <laughs> today it's good because it tends to think I remember that they don't last like that. Oh, no, it's fine. Just, you know, work dramas, being trying to be a working mum and being a mum and mm. school holidays and Will is two. I think that's enough, isn't it? Just a <laughs> Yeah. Say. No, he's like oh. kind of transitioning out of his nap and mm. uh the days he doesn't nap are extremely long and painful. Mm. And 
yeah, the other two are great, but like when they're all at home, they just rile each other up and it's fine. But, you know, I just feel like they just fight all the time. And we did an episode <laughs> on this where I explained the fighting all the time. It is getting better. They're definitely improving. But um, it's still a lot, I think, when you're just all home together and they're not used to it. So, yeah. Anyway, but I'm, yeah. And then I've had lots of work dramas this week and just trying to juggle it and parent and. My husband's been back at work this week, so we're kind of like mm. both working now. So anyway, it's all good. But um, the uh, my cleaner, I'm very thankful for <laughs> that I have. But I just wish he did my washing because after I've recorded this, I've got to go downstairs yeah. and sort out about 18 loads of washing from camping last week. But we're going oh. camping again tomorrow, so um, for the last bit of the school holidays. So I'm really looking forward to going there and there's not much reception, so it's kind of like it's forced switch-offs and the kids are always yes. heaps better when we're camping. So, yeah, that would be nice. But the lead-up, I always say this, the lead-up to camping is so stressful. Like today, mm. I don't know, just boring mundane stuff. I went to the shops with the three kids and you had to go to like four different shops and do different things mm. and like – kids in the shops is a nightmare no <laughs> normally our online shop but today I thought oh, I actually need to get a few like specific things so I went and I severely regretted it put it that way oh. I got Will a yogurt <laughs> pouch just to keep him quiet I never buy those because yeah. they're expensive um <laughs> and he had never really had one and he just flung it around the shop oh, yogurt no. it went all over <laughs> me all over the floor everywhere I was so embarrassed and I was like what do I do I don't I didn't know what to do so I just walked off <laughs> oh <laughs> It's <laughs> like, what do you do with yoga? Anyway, anyway, so that was, yeah, I feel very ready to, to tap out, but you can never really tap out when you're a mum. But that's a good segue into today's episode anyway, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, totally. Actually, I wanted to say on that note, I mean, it'll make more sense after you listen to the episode, but mm. something as I've observed in this time, like since Imogen, oh, I didn't say her name. Her name's Imogen. Oh, I announced <laughs> it for you last week. Oh, yeah. If, if, if anyone missed our episode, it was actually a really good episode last week. So um, thanks <laughs> everyone for one. your feedback, I should say too, on last week's episode, which was mm. with Mel Brown, all about money and finance. We've had like so much yeah. good feedback about that episode. So if you haven't had a listen, yeah, encourage that you do so, but sorry, keep going. Yeah. And I was just going to say since Imogen's arrived and I've taken off a lot of my hats and obviously handed over a lot of the um, the physical and mental labour of running the household and, you know, obviously in a split that's not going to be sustainable, like Mike can't do everything forever mm. and my friends aren't going to make me dinner forever. But over the last 10 days, not having to think about work really, not having to cook or shop or really do anything other than look after myself and Imogen, I found that I feel so much more patient and able to be present mm. with the kids. And like yesterday, Mike popped out just for a couple of hours. So I had all three, which feels really weird to still say all three. <laughs> and usually I'd find myself, you know, they'd want to play something and I'd play for five or 10 minutes and then I'd feel my mind wandering and be mm. thinking about the next thing that I had to do. But I didn't have any of it. And we sat on the deck and Jude's been really interested in like kind of writing, but he wants me to like draw the dots and then he just basically does like dot to dot of the letters. Mm -hmm. And we probably sat there for 45 minutes writing this letter together and it was so enjoyable and like I just felt really present and it was a really nice reminder. I should put this as an outro, not an intro to the episode <laughs> once you've listened, but just how much weight that mental load mm. really has and how it impacts those other aspects of your life. So anyway, segue into today's episode. Oh, well, we're on complete opposite ends of the spectrum. Yeah. <laughs> so my mental load feels like I'm about Aww. to have a mental breakdown and yeah. you're in the lovely oxytocin bubble. So I'm very happy for you <laughs> and slightly jealous. <laughs> try to send some your way. Come back for more cuddles. <laughs> but yeah, we've alluded that we... Yeah, talking about the mental load today because we're interviewing the amazing Eve Rodsky, who, if you haven't heard of her, she's a New York Times bestselling author and she was even Reese Witherspoon's book club pick for her book, Fair Play, which is an amazing book and also a game that helps partners rebalance their domestic workload and improve their relationship. 
her work has really elevated the conversation about the value of unpaid labor, which I'm sure we're all (laughs) familiar (laughs) with, and has been described as the antidote to physical, mental, and emotional burnout. It's honestly such a great book, such a great movement, Mm. um, and yeah, really great episode as well. So we'll hand it over to Eve. Welcome, Eve, to Boob to Food, the podcast. We are really, really excited to chat to you today. I have been a big fan of your book and your cards and the whole the whole message that you share, and I know that our listeners will absolutely love to hear your perspective. But for anyone who hasn't come across you or your work before, could you just tell us a little bit about who you are, who's in your family? Thank you, Kate. Um, my name is Eve Rodsky. I'm the author of a book called Fair Play. Uh, it's also a card game, and there's also a second book called Find Your Unicorn Space. And really, it's a movement for women to value their own time um, and to be someone other than a parent, a partner, and a professional after kids come along. And I will say that I came to this work not because I thought I would be an expert on the gender division of labor that wasn't on my third grade, what do you want to be when you grow up for? <laughs> but um, I came to it because of my own issues and my own marriage after my second son, Ben, was born in 2011, where uh, I write about in Fair Play, I had a blueberries breakdown. My husband, Seth, sent me a text. I'm surprised you didn't get blueberries. And you can picture the scene. I was uh, just... I was very, very postpartum. Um, I probably still had uh, a bleeding diaper on. I had a breast pump in the passenger seat of my car. When I got that text, I had gifts for a newborn baby to return in the back. I was racing to pick up a toddler at a toddler transition program, my son, Zach. Um, In the midst of all this chaos, uh, negotiating to go back to work into a corporate environment that didn't want me. Um, Seth decided to compound all the stress by assuming I was still the fulfiller of his smoothie needs. <laughs> and um, and I started to cry and break down on the side of the road thinking, you know, how did I get here? It was so different than the life I thought I was going to live. Um, and that really was, I'd say it was like pre-blueberries, post-blueberries <laughs> in terms of um, how I lived and how I saw my myself in, in my family structure. Mm. It's something that I know so many women can relate to that just, yeah, I guess the mental overload and all of the things that might not be seen, which I know is something that you speak about a lot and it's sort of, yeah, one of the big drivers behind the movement that you share. Um, Can you explain a little bit about what the mental load is? Absolutely. Uh, So for me, I didn't know this, Kate and Luca, but when I was breaking down on the side of the road, still blaming myself, thinking it was my fault my company didn't want me back and my fault that I forgot to buy Seth his blueberries, um, I didn't realize I was living a statistic that we all are living, really, in, in, uh, and it gets worse if it's not a developed nation, so it's not better anywhere. Uh, women shoulder two-thirds or more of what it takes to run a home and family. And I was living that statistic, but I did not know it. It was creeping up on me like cancer, like a disease. Um, I wish I had known any of these things before I had kids. I wish I had known that studies are now showing that men do five to 15 hours a week less after a baby comes. Mm -hmm. So it could feel very fair. That's why I hate the, the advice you know, it well, you know, be careful who you marry because the person you after kids who you married is not the same person before if you're married to a man. Um, and to be honest, even if it's any same sex relationship as well, because assumptions change. Um, and so that was a statistic I was living, uh, didn't know it. And in fact, also at the time, uh, after my blueberries breakdown, when I started to really start to think about what was happening to me and luckily or unluckily to the women around me, where I realized I wasn't alone in this issue. This was 2011 when I was having these realizations. So we didn't have iPads. They had just come out. We didn't have Instagram or Facebook. So all I had was what to expect when you're expecting. I didn't mm-hmm. have boob to food. <laughs> I didn't have people talking about the real life, what it feels like to be so overwhelmed. So all I knew was that my baby was going to be a jelly bean size, but I didn't know that there was terms called the second shift or emotional labor 
or the mental load or the invisible work. And what they all have in common is this idea that women, uh, regardless of whether we work outside the home, and in fact, it actually gets worse if you make more money than your partner, we are, um, because of our gender, not money, because like I said, it gets worse if women make more money. Because of our gender, women are assumed to take on uh, the unpaid labor tasks of raising a family and also uh, all the housework. Mm -hmm. So that can stem from thank you notes after a baby is born, all the way, as we know, to dishes, laundry, picking up kids. And it's not necessarily that a partner won't quote unquote help babysit the kids, go to the store if we give them a grocery list. But um, the thinking and planning is stays with us. And that was the realization for me after I had this breakdown that I can no longer live with, you know, 17,000 open items in my brain anymore. Like my computer screen. I know, <laughs> yes, exactly. I'm thankful that in like Google Chrome, you can now put them into um, categories. So it's not quite yes. so overwhelming, but they're all still there. <laughs> I know. So we need to categorize in our brain. But Eve, I find that just so interesting what you say about how the men lose hours after a baby has born in the household, but the woman obviously then has to gain those hours. But we're still working and doing a lot. And it's just, I found it so interesting. And to be honest, I never really gave the mental load any thought when I was a quote unquote stay home mum because I wasn't doing paid work. I was, you know, being a mum and I'm at home and obviously anyone that is a mum at home knows that that is hard work, but I wasn't in the paid workforce, but I just thought, oh, you know, this is my job now. My job is the homemaker and this is what I do. And I didn't really give it any thought. And we kind of just shifted really, I guess, organically into that without any conversation about that. But then when I went back to work and then as those hours increased, I did notice that, yeah, actually his hours didn't pick up in terms of what he was doing. I was still doing everything, uh, but I was now working. And I just found that so interesting that that shift doesn't happen again. And I guess that's what you're trying to do is help create that to happen again. But why do you think that that load isn't equal between partners? Why do you think that that does happen? Well, the truth is, and I, I know why it's not equal anymore. Um, it took me probably um, five years of research to get to the confidence to write fair play where I could tell people, I actually have a solution for you. Mm-hmm. Beta testing and beta testing. And now we're um, in a blind study with people who are using fair play versus don't use fair play. Cool. And we, it works. And I'll tell you what works. What is fair play? Well, I'm a lawyer. I'm not a therapist. So I don't look um, at the individual um, situations totally differently. I try to look for behavior design tactics that can help organizations and societies. So for example, as a lawyer, I'm I'm not negotiating with a stop sign. Should you slow down more today? Should you slow down (laughs) less more? As a lawyer, I'm thinking, how do I get people to stop at a crosswalk for a pedestrian? I'm going to pass a law that they have to stop at a stop sign, right? So that's how I look at the world as how do you design systems and behaviors so that they can work for everybody, not prescriptive, but I can give you tools. So regardless of your home, single mother with kids or um, transitioning from stay-at-home mom to working mom or from working mom to stay-at-home mom, that you're doing three things. And those three things, that was the aha for me. Because after my blueberries breakdown, I could have eat, pray, loved it out of my marriage, Luca, right? I mean, <laughs> that was sort of the narrative at the time, a very privileged narrative. But I grew up with a stay-at-home mom. I knew the people in my life that were thriving the most were, were divorced women who were doing the week-on, week-off custody situation. And I started to dream of that. How wonderful, how much stuff I would get done if I didn't have my kids. Uh, I'd like them more if I didn't have them, you know, only if I only had them two time, two weeks a year, um, a month. Or a year, that sounds good too. <laughs> um, uh, so that, and then I kept saying, well, but I actually like Seth and, and you know, my father left us and I think my mom would have also worked in the relationship. She didn't have that chance, but Seth did want to work on our relationship. And so I just had to figure out a constructive way for us to work. And people always say, well, shouldn't have Seth come up with this system. I'm like, I wish, but it doesn't work that way. When you're an aggrieved person, typically you're the one asking for the change. You're the game changer. 
that is what it is. So when Seth and I came together to try to figure out, okay, either I'm eat, pray, loving out of here. The other option was obviously to lose myself, Luca, like you said, in, um, in the overwhelm of being in the workplace and doing it all at home, which I felt like was not sustainable for my health. Or um, I could get my ass in gear and sort of become my own client. Uh, there's sort of an ad in the U.S. that's like the hair club for men. I'm not, and it, the guy takes off his toupee and says, "I'm not just <laughs> the president of the hair club for men. I'm the first client." So I felt like I was the first client of Fair Play. And what I asked was a very transformative question for me, which was, "I design organizational systems, as I told you, um, for families that can look like that HBO show Succession, if you've seen it, or you know, <laughs> sort of these very complex family systems. So could I design?" Could I treat my own home as an organization? And could I design a similar system for myself? And that was a very transformative time for me because when I whiteboard for my clients, what I say to them is every successful organization has three things. It has boundaries, systems, and communication. And so that was the beginning of understanding that I could use the same organizational science I was using in my day job to start shifting the dynamics in my relationship with Seth. Mm. I love that. That's like, just seems so obvious when you put it that way, that you need to have some sort of structure in a home because really it is like running an organization, especially, you know, the more children you throw onto the pile and then yes. they've got their own commitments. And then if you've got work commitments and you've got personal commitments and all of the things like it really is my favorite thing in the book is when you talk about the second shift and I love that yes. term because and I'm now like obviously since reading your book and you know becoming very delved into everything that you do I've been really hyper aware of this second shift and so at the moment I'm working full time and my husband has the children and he, like he's doing great but there's a lot that he's not doing as well um, you know, which is a work in progress. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, as I said, but that's and also, by the way, Luca, like you have you should say that mm. because the problem is for so long, especially in 2011 and when 2012, yeah. when I was telling people about what Seth was not doing, um, there was so much shame, or people were looking at me like they must have a terrible relationship, or the the, the idea of women talking badly, quote unquote, about their partners is so looked down upon. Like, oh, but he's a great guy, or but I love him so much. Okay, yeah, I know that. <laughs> That's not the <laughs> issue. I want to understand whether or not you're suffering th- through a second shift the same way I am. Mm. And I think for me, there was a turning point. And I write about this in Fair Play. For me, the turning point was obviously reading the articles and understanding that these same shit, different decade. We've been talking about the second <laughs> shift, invisible mm-hmm. work um, for for years. And, and in fact, a lot of sociologists were arguing back in the 1980s that this would always have to be the last frontier of feminism because women's unpaid labor is so integral to economies that to dismantle women doing this work would literally shut down society. So it's it's very much in the interest of society to do everything in their power to shame women into their place in the home. So I think once you realize that, it becomes a lot easier to understand that it's not your fault. Mm. And so the, that second shift, um, for me, it was too amorphous though. And that's where everything for me to design a system, I needed data. And that's where the shit I do spreadsheet came from. (laughs) So what I started to do was uh, I called up these women that I was very close to who helped me understand that this wasn't just my problem. I talk about in fair play, this breast cancer March I went on where the nine women and me were getting by noon texts from our partner saying, what the hell you took off all of Saturday morning when you coming back from the parade, uh, where's a Hudson soccer bag? Um, did you leave me a gift for this birthday party? I, I don't even know where to go. Um, does my, my child Kate's need husband, lunch? <laughs> I remember you yes, said, does do, my child yes, lunch? my friend Kate's husband, <laughs> do the kids need to eat lunch? My yep. favorite one. <laughs> and so favorite. that was, once I realized we had 30 uh, phone call, 46 texts and 30 phone calls in 30 minutes for 10 women. Wow. I was able to say, okay, these women are going through the same thing I am. Again, I didn't have 
a boob to food podcast. I had mm-hmm. nothing. We had no parental resources mm. uh, back then. Sociology and parenting were completely different. So there was nothing like this to sort of combine the two. Mm-hmm. And so once I realized it wasn't just my problem, I could go out and collect data. And so that's what I did. I asked what's invisible since I knew that term invisible work because I had just researched it. What's invisible to your partner that you may be doing. And honestly, Luca and Kate, that was a breakthrough for me because it was the first time in my life after having kids that I stopped feeling alone. Because when I was putting my researcher hat on, women were more being willing to be honest with me. And so then I got women all over the country through uh, early versions of Facebook and through old friends that I grew up with to sort of mirror the U.S. census. And literally responses were just flying in. It was, of course, like making school lunches. That takes me 10 minutes to, uh, you know, being with the kids and doing their dental appointment, which is like two hours um, to Girl Scout cookies ordering in sales. I never thought about that. That's one that happens in the U.S. You probably maybe have something <laughs> similar um, to the application of sunscreen, which I had in my spreadsheet which uh, I put down for two minutes and then a woman crossed it out um, and said to me, no, you need to put in 30 minutes for the chase. <laughs> and so I put in 30 minutes for the chase. Not to mention then, figuring out which sunscreen brand to buy in the first place yes, yeah. and then purchasing it. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Which toxic one to replenish mm-hmm. it. Yeah. <laughs> so it was, so by the end of this project, I had 98 tabs of an Excel spreadsheet, similar to what you said on top of your computer, 98 Mm -hmm. tabs and over 2,000 items of invisible work. Mm. That was the beginning of developing the Fair Play system because you need to start with data. Before, people would just say, I'm so overwhelmed, and they weren't giving me any uh, substantive data. Or I would say, well, what are you overwhelmed by? Well, groceries. Well, who does groceries in your house? We both do. I'm like, well, then why are you overwhelmed if you're both doing it? So it took a really long time for me to start unpacking what was happening. But I started with that, should I do spreadsheets? I knew what, after the 3,000 items, I was able to understand the, the scope of what women were doing. And then I was able to sort of start putting the, the, those data points into my boundaries, systems, and communication formula. And that's sort of how Fair Play came about. Yeah. Well, yeah, there is just so much invisible mm-hmm. load the hay. Like with that second shift, even last night I was doing things like, you know, getting all the dirty washing to put on in the morning so that before I go to the gym mm-hmm. I could turn the machine on so that my husband had something to hang out while he was there. And then, mm. you know, it's just everything, putting on the dishwasher, making sure we have this thing for this food, for this. And it was just like there was so much I did yeah. before I went to bed, whereas my husband was like, I'm going to bed, and he just walked up to bed. <laughs> interesting. And then yeah. I checked on all the kids, you yeah. know, made sure that they had a <laughs> It's just But so I feel funny. like it's perpetuated Never um, by society as well. Like one thing that surprised me recently is so my eldest will be going to school next year, and we both, like my husband and I, have both attended the open days and the, you know, like little orientation session. They have both of our contact details, but the invoice for the school fees came just to me. I was like, why is that? <laughs> and this mm-hmm. was after, you know, I probably wouldn't have thought about it too much. I would have been like, okay, that's something that I've got to mm-hmm. pay. But obviously I've read your book and this is something that's fresh in my mind. I, I kind of am like, why is that, that that came to my inbox only? It's like, I don't know, and not a criticism of the school. I think it's just the the general narrative that it's like, oh, but we'll it send is a criticism of the school. That's my point. <laughs> yeah, it is a criticism of the school, mm. that, and that's okay. Again, mm. we're allowed to criticize our institutions. We're allowed to criticize our partners, mm. not because they're personally failing, but mm. because they're perpetuating, as you said, a yeah. system that is fundamentally unfair to women. And so, um, you know, I'll give you. A little bit of, of example why, because it sort of goes into our secret formula of this boundary systems communication. So you can sort of guess now that you know who I am as a lawyer, like which I started with, which I thought was easiest to start with, right? Boundaries, systems, or communication. It was systems because, mm-hmm. like I said, it's easy to figure out how to get people to stop at a stop sign by passing those laws. So I was really obsessed with building a system that would work um, for all different types of family structures. But before I could get to a system where people would get to the table, I had to understand why 
about 50% of the couples I spoke to, and especially the women who were helping me with the shit I do spreadsheet, wouldn't even come to the table in the first place. So I needed to understand what the frick was happening. So of course, for men, I was hearing things like, well, if my wife is so overwhelmed, why can't she just get help? Or my wife spends all this time on unnecessary things. So I'm not going to come to the table to help with unnecessary things. Um, or I make more money than her. So why should I have to help more? I make her life. Um, but from women, it was more disturbing because I started to write down a note next to all of my interviews, which was C-I-Y-O-O, which meant complicit in your own oppression. And so what I was hearing for women, from women was, Exactly. Of course, I should be getting the invoice from the school um, because I'm responsible for that. Or um, in the time it takes me to tell John what to do, I should just do it myself. Um, or I'm a better multitasker. Like I'm just wired differently to hear the babies cry or the toddler whine. Um, or yeah, we're both colorectal surgeons, but my partner's better at focusing on one task at a time and I can find the time. Or um, my job is more flexible. Um, and that was funny because we found a study where lawyers, women who were lawyers would say their job is more flexible. You'd switch it. The woman was a doctor. The man was a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Ding, ding. Guess what? Mm-hmm. Her job is more flexible. Um, and so I think this idea, for me, it was this aha moment that this idea of finding time is incredibly um, toxic because we're not Albert Einstein, right? We can't fuck with the space-time continuum. (laughs) There's actually no way to find time, but there's just a completely different expectation over how women are supposed to spend their time. And the reason why I bring that up is because I called 50 schools for fair play. And I asked them, why do you call women? Why? Men are telling me they're putting their name on there first, or they both all showed up at the same events. Uh, You have parent one and parent two, but you don't say Mm -hmm. their priorities. You just put the, 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 the form out. And the radical answer was not, um, oh, their name was first. It was, or we call who's ever first. What it was was schools being honest and saying men don't pick up when we call them. They're guarding their time. Um, women are the one who pick up. The kids know that, so they ask for us to call their moms. Um, they also say, um, you know, that they don't want to bother men. So like you said, it's not just us. It's this whole conspiracy mm-hmm. to really make women believe that our time is sand. It's infinite, right? We can find the time, whereas men's time is finite, like diamonds. You know, it's not sand. And we're here to guard it. And that's a boundary. If we're going to keep breaching our own boundaries and not believing our time is diamonds, that we deserve a chance to not have to do all this work, it's going to be very hard to get people to the table. So the system makes a lot of sense. We can get into it and we'll talk about how people communicate. But if you're not even willing to open your mouth, I can't get the systems and communication because you're already breaching your boundaries. And that's been the hardest part for me and why Fair Play has become a movement and a nonprofit and a documentary and a card game because it was actually getting people to the table when women didn't believe they deserved to be at that table to change the dynamics in their marriage, that was the hardest part. And how do we do that in a way that, you know, isn't coming across as being like a nag or being critical or devaluing the things that our partners might or, um, already be doing? What my husband says is a dripping tap. <laughs> a dripping drip, tap? Drip. It's, in the bi- <laughs> it's in the Bible. A, nag- yes, a nagging yeah. wife is like a dripping tap. Oh. <laughs> mm-hmm. He loves to pull that one. <laughs> yes. And, and by the way, nagging is a very gendered concept. So mm-hmm. in fair play, I change it to what I call the rat, which is um, really what nagging is from a male perspective, because uh, fair play became a love letter to men pretty quickly, especially as I got to see coaches and people in the military really adopt it. Um, because they understood the power of systems, right? That, you know, you don't put your point guard in for your center in basketball um, or Lester LeBron James, but you really try not to do that because everybody knows their role. So it wasn't that men were saying to me, oh shit, your card game is going to, you know, unearth me. I've been having this amazing life doing nothing. That is not what men say. I mean, maybe I had a couple of men say that, but very, very few. 
In 17 countries, what men are saying to me is, I don't do more in the home because I can't get anything right. That's what they're saying. It hurts my ego to to be wrong. It hurts my ego when my kids want my partner. So why even try? And so typically we actually hear that type of sentiment also in the workplace when employees are not psychologically safe. They'll also say things like, I had no context for why I was brought into that meeting. I had to take notes and I felt humiliated because I didn't even know why I was there. Often that is my value proposition for men, that being within a system, which they know from being athletes or if they've ever seen anybody in the military or anybody who's ever doesn't want to die in decision fatigue, understands that making decisions in advance, as one man said, changed his whole life from what it was, which was that they waited to take the dog out. Every single day they decided who was taking the dog out right when it was about to take a piss on the rug. And their decision fatigue was getting so overwhelming that they were both burning out. So what's been nice about men is that I think, again, we're so conditioned not to bring these topics up because we want to protect and guide and guard and make everybody happy. And I'm the ultimate people pleaser as being a product of a single mother who was a parental child. But it's, it's that firm boundary where we say, I love you. My time is valuable. I don't care who makes what, we're a dual ambition household and something has to change. I want this to work. I love you. We're going to come to the table. We're going to do this slowly, but I can't live like this anymore. And you don't want me to live like this anymore because I'm getting physically ill. I'm having mental health consequences from holding um, the entire household organization on my shoulders. So again, the reason why I speak to women first is because it, it requires a lot of work from our perspective to believe that we're valuable enough to demand to be a game changer in our relationship. And it doesn't have to be harsh. That's how Seth and I started. It wasn't read this. Should I do spreadsheet? I tried that. I sent it to him. He sent me a monkey emoji back that was covering its eyes. (laughs) He, He did not want to see the invisible work. But when I finally said to him, Hey, when we were calm, you know, it was probably on Valentine's day. I can't remember. It was on a holiday. And I said, It's just, it's really interesting, Seth. You know, I've started to notice that you have three hours after our kids go to bed to work out, check PowerPoint, um, to watch TV. And what I've noticed is that I have zero leisure time because I'm doing things in service of our household until my head hits the pillow, which is actually two hours after your head hits the pillow because of all that extra work I have to do. And so that's fundamentally unfair. And I I can't live like this anymore. And you will enter care because either I'm going to get cancer, I'm going to have a mental breakdown, we're going to get divorced. I mean, I didn't Mm -hmm. say this. But the truth is, if men don't do it when emotion is low and cognition is high, right? If we don't engage with our partners, men do enter care. And it's typically when a, 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 a woman gets sick or when they have a mental breakdown, or when they get divorced. So might as well do, you're going to enter care anyway. So you might as well do it um, when you're both ready, willing, happy, able. And so, you know, that I don't say that part often, but I think the <laughs> beginning part was what got set to the table. Because at the end of the day, he stopped saying, well, you care more about that, so you should do it. Because what he realizes is that in a good relationship, you're supposed to care about what the other person cares about. What if I, he came home from work and he was upset and stressed and I say, well, that's not my job. It's your job. Mm-hmm. No, you're supposed to say, I'm sorry you feel that way. Tell me more about what happened to you today. So that's why this whole idea in domestic life of, well, I don't do thank you notes because she cares about it. I don't. It's the exact opposite of a healthy relationship, which is I should care about something, maybe not as much as her, but we'll get to a minimum standard of care together. Mm-hmm. But if Kate cares about it, I should care about it because... That's how a healthy relationship works. Mm. We'll be back after this short break. Today's episode was brought to you by BioFirst. BioFirst is an Australian family brand who wanted to create better skincare options for not only their family, but to also help as many people as possible. All products are manufactured locally within Australia and are genuinely natural with no nasties like phthalates, petrochemicals or synthetic ingredients. Yeah, they are really great. We use them all the time in our household. Two of my favourite things that they have is their self-heal salve, 
which is incredible for uh, anything really, all things stings, bug bites, mozzie bites, grazers, any skin upsets that the kids get. We have it in our caravan and um, I don't know, it's just such a handy thing to have this little one-stop tube for everything. And we also love their ultra-sensitive skin rescue lotion. Our little guy, Will, is prone to getting a little bit of eczema and I find that this cream is amazing. And I know, Kate, that you recommend this cream quite a yeah. lot in our clinic as well. I do. They're dermatologist certified and really good for any hypersensitive or, yeah, sensitive little skin. Mm. So if you want to try them for yourself, you can use the code boob to food for 15% off site-wide. Visit www.bio-first.com.au. Now let's get back to today's episode. So say we come and we bring those cars to the table and we, we get our husband to have a look at him or our partner and we say like, this is what, you know, we want to do and they agree to do it, how do we actually get them to do it? <laughs> I think, like, how do we win at fair play? Because, you yeah, know, we can, say, we can say something and they can agree with it at the time, but then, you know, is that going to last for, it's like a child who wants to earn some pocket money and they've <laughs> got all these ambitions to do things and the jobs last for three days and then yes. that's it. <laughs> how do we win at this? Well, look, just, you have to look at the diet industry, right? It's like a, $10 trillion industry because they're preying on us tracking food, going to Weight Watchers, doing all this stuff, and then stopping doing that, right? So the truth is for most humans, practices are hard. And so that gets, we haven't done systems yet. We'll talk exactly what the system of fair play mm-hmm. is. But if you believe me that your time is diamonds and we need to get there, I think let's jump over to communication for a minute. Because I think what happens is people will get the cards or they'll they'll be ready to have this conversation. And then they'll say to me, or a lot of beta testers did, I did it, I had the conversation, didn't work. And so I, I, I would almost laugh as a mediator, not in a mean way, but because looking at communication that way, looking at the cards that way is actually very similar to if Kate said to me, yeah, I went back to exercise, you know, or sorry, I had the baby, yeah, everything's good. And I'm super fit. And I'm like, oh, great. How did you get fit? Well, I exercised once in 2005. (laughs) It's like, oh, wow. Okay, that's weird, right? And so (laughs) the idea that we would get our fitness level back because we exercised once in 2005 is exactly how people people feel about the communication practice. Mm. They somehow think that if they have one conversation about these issues, that everything should magically change. So one of my favorite things to do was to, when social media finally came about uh, years into the fair play research was we did an online poll of parents across the U S or sorry, it wasn't even parents. I think it was just like, it was a general poll. And we asked a thousand people, a very um, generic question that some people didn't understand, but most people did answer it. What is your most important practice? And the reason I was doing that was because I wanted to have this stat for people like you to tell you that not one of the thousand people in that question said communication, not one. I was looking for maybe two, three people to say it. Most people said a version of exercise, meditation, or religious practice. So what it did for me was confirm in, you know, in an anecdotal way that nobody was looking at communication as a practice. So if you can start thinking, as you said, okay, well, this is not going to work to the more I practice fair play, the better it's going to get. No one's looking at exercise and saying it's not going to work. People will say, I really have no, and that happened to me in COVID. I had zero fitness level. I had I had like 200 steps a day for about four years. So when I went back to even walking in the neighborhood, I was like, oh, this shit is hard. <laughs> but I didn't say to myself, exercise doesn't work. Mm. What I said to myself is this is going to be a hard fucking practice. It's going to be hard to come back from this. And I have to get myself in the mindset to try to, you know, do something for myself every day by understanding the why. So similar to fair play, if you understand the why is more free time for both of you, if you understand the why is less, like you said, less nagging, um, higher libido, more connection, more time to talk about things you want to talk about, way better connection with your children and your partner, uh, your better modeling. One woman said to me, I didn't believe in fair play until I saw my kids watching me Mm -hmm. do it all. Um, So if we believe 
in that practice, then you don't say, well, it doesn't work. What you say to yourself is, okay, I'm going to practice this. And sometimes the practice will be like, okay, let's bring these cards out. Other times it may just be, okay, well, boundary systems, communication. We don't even have a communication practice. So instead of starting with fair play, which is a system that we're not ready to enter, what if we just started with the practice of checking in six minutes a day when emotion is low and cognition is high? Mm-hmm. Just six minutes a day, seven, nine o'clock to 9.06. Every night, we check in with our partner, three minutes each. How are you? What's going on? Love you. Just want to see you. Haven't talked to you all day. Eye-to-eye communication. Then I bet you a month later, what we find, especially in the workplace, is that people are much willing, more willing to receive bad news and hear bad news from their employees if they have a consistent communication practice with them. So it's similar in a relationship. A month in, you can say, hey, guess what? There's this game I want us to play. Hard to bring that up in the first if you've never had a communication practice. People who do communicate and have a practice, I throw them right into the system. Most people, I would say, have to work on their boundaries and communications first before they can even think about the system. Can you explain the system? (laughs) What is fair play? What are the rules? The system. The system's (laughs) the best. It's the easiest part. Um, So let's assume you believe your time is diamonds. Uh, and you're, and you say, of course, I'm going to say I'm a game changer. And you're also somebody who is ready to, or has been doing consistent emotion is, uh, low con- cognition is high check-ins. Then you're ready for the system and the system. And that's the prep you need to get to the table. But the system is actually a very easy, wonderful system. And what it does is there's a hundred cards and it's a metaphor. We have them free on the fairplaylife.com website. It's not here for, us to sell things. Um, it's really a movement at this point. So go on there. You can look at them there. Um, and what you're doing with these hundred cards is you're doing two steps. The first is you're trying to get shit out of your deck. People always forget that step. They just want to go to the divvying up because they're so fed up. Mm-hmm. You got to get things out of your deck. You got to talk about what you value, your stories of how you experience the cards. Then when you do that, you're going to go into a division of labor based on what I call conception, planning, and execution. And so what I mean by that is that when you have groceries, often women were the ones who are noticing that they have yellow mustard in their refrigerator because their second son, Johnny, only eats protein with yellow mustard. Women are the ones who will monitor that mustard for when the the mustard runs low. They get stakeholder buy-in from their family for what they want. That's planning. And then they'll ask their partner to go to the store, right? They're bringing home spicy Dijon every fucking time. And then (laughs) you can't, I'm not going to let you move on to the, you know, estate planning card. No one's working on your living will if they can't bring (laughs) home the right type of mustard. And so you're in this sort of accountability spiral when you break up conception, planning, and execution. So all fair play does is it's sort of like a surgery to to repair that breakup, like like just like a break in your foot. And you, you repair that. The cast is the conception, planning, and execution. The cast for the break is this idea of an ownership mindset, that when I hold a card, it doesn't have to be forever. It could be I'm just dealing with meals just tonight, or I just do Saturday nights, I and maybe just ordering in if you're okay with that. But it's this idea that, Once you are holding a card, you're holding it with full ownership. Now, for my relationship, I held every card uh, when we started this. So it was a very daunting situation to figure out how to get Seth to hold any cards. And ultimately, we, we did start with something that he valued as well. We started with extracurricular sports. We had two young kids, two young boys. And I think... For Seth, the biggest aha when I asked him what was the biggest change for him, it was that Kate and Luca, I swear to God, he genuinely thought he was handling extracurricular sports by showing up at the AY, the, the soccer field, the football field, the, you know, what you call, you know, football, we call soccer or both, but <laughs> soccer um, <here> too. <laughs> yes, soccer. So he, he really thought that that was that it was responsible. He was getting their, them there on time on Saturday mornings for their games. Mm-hmm. When he finally understood that I was doing the conception of surveying my kids for what sport they even wanted to play, that I was planning by researching the leagues they needed to be in, figuring out the dates by when they had to be registered, 
logging onto a 1980s portal that never worked <laughs> and would crash all the time, trying to reset my password a hundred times, getting a birth certificate so that my, they, and uploading it so the kids can play, ordering equipment on Amazon or borrowing it, returning it when it didn't um, fit. Uh, I was on an 85 person text chain to coordinate three practices a week for t- two different kids. Once Seth understood that that was owning extracurricular sports, what we were able to quantify it was that he took one card mm. and I got six hours of my week back. Mm. Six hours. Yeah. So again, it's not so much about 50-50. It's 100 cards. I don't need your partner to take 50 or they can, like Seth does that now, but it took us 10 years. What I need is for that cast to come off and people to understand that the break is when you hold the conception and planning and your partner's helping you. What we need is a partner who owns things. Um, and that is the biggest, um, that's the biggest insight of fair play. It's a game based on ownership, but only after you build your deck together to get buy-in for what you even want to do. Thank you notes are maybe out of your deck. Um, maybe extended family is out of your deck this year. You're not going to go visit your extended family, but you're having these conversations is garbage in your house something where the liner goes back in right the second after the garbage goes out? Is it something where you're cleaning the little garbages every day or do the little garbages around the house only get dumped into the big garbage once a week? These are conversations none of us ever have, but they're actually very, very freeing once you're having them. Yeah, I love it so much. The men Because that's what you're talking about. It's the mental load. I'm sure many, many women would say that their partners will do something when we ask them to do it. Right. You know, if you say, can you wash up? I'm sure many partners would be like, yeah, sure. Like I'll go wash up and they'll do it. But it's that like, I don't want to have to tell you to wash up. Or my favorite thing is this like CPA, that conception planning and execution, because I think for one example for, and I always complain about this to Kate, is that (laughs) um, because I'm working at the moment, my husband's a stay-at-home dad at the moment. And so like, obviously I'm like, your job, you need to do the laundry now. You've never done it. We've been married for 12 years. I've been doing it for 12 years. You need to do it now. And we call that the redeal. We call that redealing a daily grind. <laughs> yes. So you're so, you are redealing based on a wild card, which is new job. Yeah. You are redealing the laundry card back to your partner. Okay, yes. I love it. So I've redealt it. However, <laughs> he's not quite getting the whole uh he's any of it really. <laughs> so I still have to like, and this is something that, you know, I'm like talking to you today. I'm like, I really need to address this because it's starting mm-hmm. to annoy me and get to a point where it's like, no, this is like really bugging me now every day. Mm-hmm. And it builds up these little things. I've talked about in the podcast before. He calls me a millimeter week because he says I explode. And I'm like, no, I'm a long tapered candle. <laughs> um, but right. you know, I haven't let you know that I'm burning slowly until I get to the little mm-hmm. milli week. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so that's my nickname from him. But I love it. So I have to, you know, like I was saying, the night before I put the washing on, when I go to the gym at 5.30 in the morning, I turn the machine on. When I come home, it's ready. I say to him, I text him, hey, the washing's ready. You need to hang it out. He hangs it out. And then where does it stay until I put it away? In the washing machine, you know, in the laundry room where I then have to sort out. So then I had a word to him the other day. I was like, look, I need you to actually sort the washing out. Like I can't be doing that. So now he started sorting it out, but now he just puts it in piles on the kids' floors or in my floor. Like he won't actually put them away. So now <laughs> we we're slowly getting there. But I love that your cards explain like, no, like once this card is yours, you have to do all of it and because that's what's going to make change and take away that mental load and us, I guess, I feel like a nag because I'm constantly like, no, you haven't done this. You haven't done this because I don't think he quite understands that doing the washing is not just hanging it out or bringing it in. It's that whole thing, right? But you're also you're also involved. Like I'm mad at you. Like you need to step the fuck <laughs> I out of laundry. I know. I need to. Why are you putting it in? Right? I mean, he. I'm sure he's willing to do it. I I I, I know he is because he's already involved in half the task. Yeah. But that is exactly what we call the growth both trap. You have now broken yep. the task up, right? You're still holding mm. that conception of when to start the laundry, which is in the mornings. And so then you've now taken away 
somebody's, we see standards go up when somebody has full ownership. We see that in the workplace all the time. When somebody says you're in charge of the meeting, they're going to do a lot better job than if you say you're just here to take notes. Mm -hmm. And so, but what I would say is that I would even just take a step back and this is my homework for you and your partner (laughs) is I want you to sit down again with short-term reward substitution. So you're going to sit down with a bottle of wine or out when you're taking a walk. I want it to be someplace fun in the next one or two or three days. And then you're going to say, okay, I have to do this because it's a follow-up. I promise this person on the podcast. <laughs> I, do this. Um, I want, I, before I, I, this is going to be a conversation about laundry. It's not going to be nagging, but it's just going to be a different type of conversation because we've actually never talked about laundry. The first thing I'm going to have you do is I both want you to tell one story. And if he doesn't believe me, you can, what's his name? Jesse. Jesse. Okay. I'm asking you to do this. <laughs> I want you and Luca to both tell, and by the way, that's my favorite names, Jesse and Luca. You guys are like the coolest oh, couple. Of thanks. <laughs> um, but I want you to each tell each other actually one story of your childhood memories of laundry. That's what I want. I want you to, do you have any, do you remember laundry growing up? Well, I just only remember my mom doing it. Um, and then for him, he grew up in, with a single mom. So he only would have seen his mom doing it. Or maybe if it was a single mom, maybe he actually did help her with laundry growing up. We don't really know. I think his sister, not him. Okay. So again, so mm-hmm. we can sort of talk about that. Like, why do you think mm. your sister helped and not you? Mm. Um, did you do other chores? Was it not seen domestic? Was it just not even assumed that you would touch laundry? It would just be interesting for me to get a sense from both of you. And then you can mm. follow up on the podcast. Why? And what your stories are. Like if, if it's sort and I mean, get really granular. Like I'll give you an example. If I was going to tell you my story about laundry, it would be that, um, I was definitely afraid of our laundry room because it was in the basement of our building. And so instead of stopping doing laundry, my mom got me pepper spray. So like if I was getting raped in our laundry room, I would be able to like, uh, like spray our attacker basically. Um, and I had to pick out quarters because there was only quarters. So I remember going to the, it was chemical bank back then. Now it's chase, but we would have these rolls of quarters that I would bring to our laundry room. And it was actually pretty, like I said, traumatic to go down there. And so I'd often like drag my little brother and we had like that laundry cart. And so it's just, it's interesting because it gives you a picture of what the people around you saw. So again, I, the idea that somebody wouldn't know how to complete laundry for someone who grew up in a single mom household who was tasked with doing laundry. I'm like, what are they idiots? But then (laughs) maybe your partner never actually saw it because their time was guarded or they had other things Mm. that they were responsible for. um, And so they never had to complete that task. And so it's just, I like being able to understand where it comes from, because then you can talk about what you value. Mm. Something that you value is, it sounds like for you, that you you want the cycle to be done. Mm. So there are a lot of people, and this woman, Casey Davis, does a great job saying that for her, laundry is never done. It's always in some sort of cycle. It's either in a cycle of wet, it's in a cycle of dry, it's in the cycle of being on the floor, it's on the cycle of being in your hamper, I'm also a person who needs that accomplishment of feeling like something is done. This woman told me that same thing about laundry, ironically. And then she told me when her partner stopped you know, putting the laundry away, she would take the wet clothes from the dryer and from the washer because he didn't put them in the dryer and she would start dumping the wet clothes on his pillow. <laughs> so what I like to tell Maybe people that. is that there's lots of ways to communicate, right? <laughs> uh, that's a short millimeter wick, but really what that is... Is telling Jesse, like, you know, what the fuck is that? Right. And so <laughs> her partner, she kept saying, I don't communicate about domestic life. And I kept trying to explain to her, you're communicating about domestic life. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm not asking you to start a conversation. I'm asking you to shift a conversation. You're dumping wet clothes um, on your partner's pillow. You are communicating. Yeah. And so I think that's what you can say, right? Jesse, this is a different type of conversation about laundry, but as you know, the past two weeks, we've been really communicating about laundry. In fact, it's probably our biggest conversation because mm. it's been one without words. Mm. It's been one where you're seeing me start something for you, roll your eyes at you, text you, uh, get pissed about it. Um, and that's just not the type of conversation we should be having anymore. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of how you can start shifting those conversations. But I would say instead of 
just going to what it takes to do laundry. Again, Jesse's not stupid. I know he knows what it takes to finish laundry, but you're in, inserting yourself in the mm. process. So I need you, Luca, to step out of laundry at this point. (laughs) I know. It's so hard though, isn't it? Because you want to step out. I even think that now, like I run a company and I have employees and I'm like, Mm. I will give not so much Kate because she's great, but, um, you know, some employees the task and they are great and I know that they can do it, but I can't like, I'm like, oh, sorry. Like, I'm just checking you've done this. I'm sorry. I'm I'm just checking you've done Mm. this. And I think, no, I need to step back. But then... Sometimes things won't be done exactly how I want them done. And it's so hard because you're like, well, is that just a reflection on me or do I need to actually be like, no, I want it done exactly that. And I guess it's the same in the house when you've run the Mm. house for like 12 years. I'm like, well, you know, he can do something. I don't know what it is, a particular (laughs) job. He can do it, but he might do it very different to how I do it. And is that okay or do I need to like really articulate that because it bothers me but it Mm. doesn't bother him? I love that in um, the Fair Play book, Eve, you make that distinction of like what constitutes the job being done, mm-hmm. like what is right. that end point because I guess that would look different for everyone. Mm-hmm. And like personally with the laundry card, I've been like, please don't do the laundry because I'm tired of my like expensive linen garments mm-hmm. getting mm-hmm. ruined. So I, I'm happy to own that card because I can't afford to keep buying these clothes. <laughs> I just want to, you know. Right. Do, do dishes. Take dishes. Yeah, off totally. Yeah, but then <laughs> at the same time. Who cares about the dishes? Yeah, yeah. yeah but so. I'm also, like, while I would love all of the clothes to be folded in a way and hung on the line, I also have, you know, for me, my capacity is, like, I, I'm, like, heavily pregnant. I cannot hang things on the line right now. So most of our clothes are going in the dryer and they go from mm-hmm. the dryer into the spare room. And I've just accepted the fact that for now, that's basically it's our wardrobe. laundry room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so. And by the way, that's a bit minimum standard of care. But what I mm-hmm. think is nice is that when you're changing a minimum standard of care or you want someone to take it over, um, we, that's what we call in fair play this idea of a minimum standard of care that. It's, you can own something by understanding that it, it requires putting it in the washer, putting it in the dryer, folding it, and taking out the lint or whatever. But maybe that person's minimum standard of care means that that happens within a week. Mm-hmm. So often the minimum standard of care has to do with the timeline of when you want something to get done. CPE is the ownership of the card. So that can be more easily sort of defined because most tasks do have a beginning and an end. You want clean dishes at the end. You want clean clothes in drawers at the end, if that's what you want. But it's a lot of times the standards has to do with timing. So it's this idea that um, I, I don't want, you know, for my minimum sta- standard, it's that I don't want clothes in the dryer, you know, more than two days because then they get moldy and you have to redo them. Mm-hmm. And I will say the way this sort of plays out, and I'll just end on a story because I think this sort of encapsulates all these themes, is that fair play often happens very in very small ways that all of a sudden become transformative. And so there was this one couple that started to use fair play during the pandemic and they were realizing when they started to uh, finally get to the place of ownership of the cards that her, I'll call them Richard and Amy, Richard was handling a lot of the one suit is called the home task. So he was actually pretty good at, he was doing dishes. He was, he was uh, doing all the laundry um, and some grocery shopping. But what Amy realized, especially during COVID, was that she was handling all of the emotional labor tasks, which we put in the suits called caregiving and magic. And those she felt like had a lot of um, emotional weight that she just couldn't handle during the pandemic. Or as she said, I don't have a magical vagina that tells me what, (laughs) you know, Richard's mom wants for Christmas, right? But that's sort of where a lot of emotional labor was coming. So one of the cards she transferred over in the magic suit was magical beings, which is a card that encompasses tooth fairy. Um, and her second, her daughter's second tooth came out and her partner had in the process said, I will own magical beings, which was Santa and the tooth fairy for them. And the tooth fairy didn't come. So the tooth fairy doesn't come. Richard forgets to put the tooth under the pillow. So what they tell me is that before fair play, this was their dynamic. Their dynamic was that Richard would not have taken accountability 
because they'd never discussed who was in charge of the tooth fairy. So he would have blamed Amy for not reminding him to put the dollar into the pillow. And then because he did that and didn't take accountability for the mistake, she would have gone sort of millimeter wick style and said things like you, she admitted this. She would have said, you ruin our child's life. There's no magic. I can't trust you. She sort of would, would have done all that feedback in the moment. But she said that the biggest change in her fair play journey was that the second the daughter woke up and realized there was distress because there was no money under the pillow, her husband said, my bad, I fucked up. And because he took ownership and accountability because it was his card, she did not say you ruined her child's life. She said, okay, well, people make mistakes. And so I expect you to own the mistake. Like, I hope you will repair with our daughter. So he tells me that he emails toothfairy at gmail.com saying like, what's the deal? Uh, like, did not expect a response. But during the school day, he actually gets a response from toothfairy at gmail.com. And the, the toothfairy at gmail.com says, sorry, because of supply chain issues during the COVID. Like teeth, I can't pick up teeth as fast. <laughs> okay. And so he printed this art, this email out and showed his daughter and said, well, when the tooth fairy comes late because of supply chain issues during the pandemic, you get double the money. <laughs> and that's the story. That's it. Mm-hmm. I don't know how else to explain it. It's just Love so it. small. But because somebody owned something in advance, the other partner was able to say, thank you for taking accountability for the mistake. I'll let you own the mistake. Then that person actually got closer to his daughter because he was able to have his own repair. That's the patterns I'm looking for. It's It takes time, but it does, I promise you, it does happen. I love it. I just think that's, you know, it's such a small story, but it's actually not. It's like closer to your daughter, closer to your partner. I don't know. I, I've got such a smile on my face just thinking yeah. about that story because you can see. I love see. them. I yeah. love that story. It made me so happy during the pandemic. Yeah. I was like, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. People can do this even under terrible circumstances. There is a chance for change. Yeah. Mm. I love it. Oh, Eve, we could probably keep you on the podcast for hours and hours and hours, but your time is diamonds. <laughs> so we won't do that <laughs> Thank to you. Thank you. So is yours, especially because you're about to have a baby. Yes. So congratulations. Oh, and thank you. Good luck. Yeah. Thank you so much. But it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. And thank you for putting this movement out into the world, mm-hmm. because I think it really is so empowering, not just for women, but for couples, you know, when we, we are wanting to be on the same page as our partner and wanting to feel good as a family. It's, it's such an, yeah, amazing tool that people can have some fun with. And, um, yeah, I think really learn yeah. a lot. We'll link your book and mm. your cards and everything Thank in the you. show notes as well. So everyone knows where to get it and I'll keep you updated how I go with the laundry. <laughs> yeah. But you're not starting with what it takes to finish the cycle. I want you, like I said, to go somewhere fun and to have that conversation, just start to tell some stories about your childhood, what laundry was like for you. If I have to do something fun, I'll, I'll take your advice. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Eve. Thank you so much. Bye, Luca. Bye, Kate. Thank you for listening to Boob to Food, the podcast. We hope this episode made you feel inspired, confident, and less overwhelmed in your parenting journey. Head to the show notes for all the resources mentioned on today's episode. And if you loved this podcast, please remember to subscribe, rate, and review. See you next week. Bye.